You're listening to the City Light Sermon Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Romans chapter 12. So this last week, um, you know, I th- it was interesting. If you guys were here for uh, the service last week, Darrell uh, did a spoken word. And he had written it that week and really put it all together that Friday before that Sunday. And if you, like, I made the slides for his message, I mean, for his spoken word. And there were probably 25 slides of four verses each. Uh, And he had it memorized before he came here, which is pretty incredible. I don't know if you ever try to do something like that, but that's pretty incredible. And I watched him perform at the Poetry Slam, and he has all these things memorized, and he just embodies amazing, amazing uh, just authority and clarity and art, artistic theology. I mean, it's just beautiful. I think he's a modern-day psalmist. I really, truly do. There's nothing less than that. He is an African-American King David in the fields, but he's in this field. It's amazing. Uh, and he's nothing less than that. And so um, he's somebody I love. That's why I want to go to the Poetry Slam to support him. But it's so rare that what happens, happen. And uh, you know, if, if you weren't here, he was doing his spoken word, and it was so stunning, so beautiful. And about a, uh, about a third of the way, maybe halfway through, um, I was watching the lyrics, and he started to say things that weren't on there. But I know, as a communicator, sometimes you think of something, and in the moment, it comes off your tongue a little different, or you add a little different, or you add something that's a little more saucy. It says it a little better, and he was doing it. I'm like, okay, okay. You know, I'm down there going, I punched these lyrics in, but you're bringing some goodness. And and then I could see his face kind of. I saw it in his eyes because I've been there like, hey, what am I talking about? That lyric wasn't part of the plan. And he eventually was like, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I, uh, I blanked. And he said it. Now, Timothy was keeping the music going on, so it felt really good. But what was so stunning to me is us as a family, we didn't applaud more enthusiastically, and we were not more vocal than the time when he admitted his struggle and his brokenness. And it hit me, we're a church that celebrates, but we tend to come around the broken, and we tend to come around those who are hurting, and we know what to do pretty well with them. But it had me thinking, I, I thought about that, and I was thankful for it, and I'm not on social media, but then Timothy showed me a post that Darrell put on there. He was so appreciative of you guys. He's like, oh, I was so humbled, I, I messed up, and people said it was great, and people said it was the best part of the service when I messed up, and, and, they, and Timothy even said, like, I want him to do that every time, you know? There is this part of humility that we can connect with, but so maybe we can mourn with people well and, and be broken with people who are broken well, but I, privately, before we got together on Wednesday this last week, I was thinking to myself, are we a celebrative church? Do we really know how to celebrate? Which then, I'm, I'm a, privately, I'm a thinker, and, and so I was like, well, do we celebrate? And why do we celebrate what we celebrate if we celebrate? And I, I just started getting into this conversation with myself. And then eventually we talked about that. And I said, I think we are a culture that knows how to celebrate, but I'm not sure that we celebrate everything. And so what was interesting to me is we roared and applauded when he failed and admitted it. But when he was just knocking it out of the park, we really, I, I wonder if we're a church that knows what to do when things are great, <laughs> to be candid me included. Uh, I know I sit up front. I used to sit way back there next to my wife during worship. We're great, by the way, just in case you're wondering, but um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty, like, I'm very subdued here, but I still, I move. I, I don't realize I'm moving in worship. I love music, and I love beating. Jordan's such a great drummer, and we have all this, and, I, and so I move, and I stand right in the speaker because I can shout at it, and it still wins, and so, like, I like, I'm an animated worshiper at times, 
And so we, we sit in different spots. So like, I know for me, when things are going well, they tell me sometimes, Timothy's like, oh, I heard you screaming on Sunday. I was like, no, I wasn't. He's like, oh yeah, you were like, yeah, Jesus. And I'm like, that's a little embarrassing. He's like, no, I just heard it. And only the band hears it. But I don't think people out there hear it. My point in saying all that is, like, I think it's a, it's a well-developed, mature follower of Christ when we learn to be a fully integrated person who can match emotions with the moment. And I believe that's what Christ did. So this is not by any means me or any of us coming up here and saying, hey guys, we need to clap more. We need to cry more. We need to give more money. That's not what it's about. But I want us to be more human. And I, I, I really long for us to be what I read in Romans 12. I just, I literally, that's the first passage I turned to when I was thinking about teaching on celebration. Then I, voxed the, I, I messaged them yesterday and I said, I think the word is honor. We need to learn how to honor God and honor others. And so I don't, I don't celebrate, my wife and I went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the school where that shooting happened, 17 people were killed, and I didn't celebrate that, but I've been learning how to honor what happened there. And, and my friends who great things happened, like Kim just got a new truck, she's so excited, and that's one step closer to her, her life vision to have a farm and be a farm girl and do her thing. Like I, I honored that, and it was easy to celebrate, but I honored her and said, tell me about that. that's exciting to me. And so I don't want to be on a farm. I don't do that. And, and I, I don't want to go back to high school, nor do I want to be part of that shooting. But to be with those people and understand, to me, that's a kingdom of God non-negotiable. And so in some ways, I, I do want to kind of see us grow up. And let me just give you a little example of this. These are two of my kiddos. This is, this is Alexandria on the left, and this is Liam on the right. Now, for some of you guys know, I went out west uh, for... 20 days and went to Nevada and Arizona, New Mexico and Utah over 20 days and just kind of in between states and visited 15 national parks. And it became part of my daily routine so much so that when I came home, my physical body around like two in the afternoon just wanted to move. It just wanted to move. Um, I don't live a sedentary life, but I'm pretty close um, because I just read in seats a lot. And this one was me getting up and experience a lot. So this was my effort. I told my kids, I said, hey, why don't we go on a hike after church on Sunday on Easter? And they're like, that sounds good. I'm like, well, listen, this is pretty precious to me. And I looked at little Allie and I said, you can't complain. <laughs> and I looked at Liam and I was like, and you, you, like, you got to put down a device. <laughs> you know, like if we're going to do this, you, know, you guys got to be present. And uh, it, it, that picture, you know, I only took two pictures. So that wasn't like 30 pictures and then that's the one I post on social media. But this is Caesar's head. It's just 40 minutes away from us. I mean, it's beauty right there. And it was a successful hike for us. But what's funny is the conversation before and after when we got back into our normal house routine was Liam telling me that he doesn't even like his sister and his sister telling me that he, she doesn't like him. And I was like, what? You guys don't like each other? Like, no, we, we're like our least favorite people on earth. And I'm like, you guys, like, what's the deal? And I'm getting into it with Allie, and I'm like, honey, I think your heart issue is insecure. She's like, I'm not insecure. And I'm like, well, you sound insecure when you say that. And I'm like, actually, I think it's jealousy is a heart issue. And she's like, I'm definitely not jealous. And I'm like, yeah, I think you are. The, the long and the short of it is this. I said, honey, are you capable of, of, of celebrating for Liam when he gets something, even if you don't? And you could see it. Her whole body was like, no! <laughs> You know, kids are, they're more communicative than us as adults. Adults just learn to hide their emotions. Kids wear them out. It's a little better to be around kiddos in that way. But I got into this deep conversation and I literally was going scenario by scenario. Would you be happy if Liam got this? Would you be happy if that? So yesterday we had this long conversation. Thank the Lord she caught something. We went to a movie yesterday and I bought Liam two packs of Haribo sour gummy worms and she got the entire bag of Flips pretzel chocolate um, pretzels, which is, Big, and I think that was for eight people, and Liam's was probably for eight people total. And she goes, 
what? He got really delicious Harry Bo gummy bears. Good for him. I'm like, I mean, like it was the greatest parenting moment of all time for me. I'm done. I'm out. Head to college, kids. You guys see where I'm going with this? My point is this. I, I'm not the parent of this house. Um, I definitely love the fact that I get to have that spiritual fathering and emotional and relational fathering relationship with so many. It's a, it's a real treasure to me. But if I was the parent for a moment, which I'd like to just be for a moment, as a family, I'd like to say, I wonder what it would look like if we allowed the spirit to stir up gladness for people who are receiving good things and doing well. And I'd love for us as brothers and sisters to look at our brothers and sisters and friends who are struggling and we don't go in to correct them, but we just go to be presence there with them and just understand. And listen, I just did a little bit of gamut, but I I mean, I could run that whole list in between. And so when I said to them, I think the words honor, not celebrate, that's what I want to ask us, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. When I, when I shared it with them, Oliver's like, oh my goodness, that sounds, like, that sounds like the prodigal son. That sounds like the parable of the lost coin. That sounds, like, I mean, that sounds like that whole passage in Luke 15. And then I'm like, man, well, you should preach with me. And he's like, uh, give me some time to think about that. And then, because this was yesterday, like 5, and then uh, 5 p.m., and then Timothy's like, oh man, that reminds me of Cain and Abel. I'm like, oh man, well then you should preach too. We'll just do all three of us. And I'm like, no, I'm going into a movie right now, but I'll talk to you in like three hours and you guys figure it out and then we'll figure it out when I get back and then I'll go to bed and then we'll wake up and it'll be great. So here we are. The reason I think it's important that we're all here is because I feel like this is a house message. It's a family message. It's not about finances. It's not about property. It's just about who we are as a family right now. And I couldn't think of a better passage to read than this one right here. Romans chapter 12. I'm actually going to read this whole chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, meaning like, hey, family, we're in this together, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That just means to be alive. If you're physically alive and you're doing something, you are genuinely operating as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and here's what your offering is, by the way. God already defines it. He says, it's holy and it's acceptable to me. I see you as set apart for this thing. So whatever you're doing, whether you're mourning or you're celebrating, he says, I've set you apart to do this, sweet child. You're, you've got this. You're in this. It's holy and acceptable. And this is your spiritual act of worship. That means in a better language, especially if you're not churchy, that just means this is the most fitting thing for you to do. So when someone is mourning and you look at them and go like, hey, you need some perspective. You know, I know you're crying right now, but it's, you know, you're not even gonna think about this a year from now. Like that's not what he's talking about. The most fitting thing to do with that person would not be to share every single detail that you've experienced like them and told them how you've gone through that, but just listen, if they're okay with physical touch and you've done that, you pat them on the back and say, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, whatever you need. That's the most fitting thing. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not telling you what to do in these situations. I hope you don't hear that, but I am getting a little more practical today because it's parenting time and I'm parenting myself. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you might be able to discern. You may be able to figure out what God's will actually is, what is good and is acceptable and is perfect. And I, you guys, I've, I've taught on this passage over the last five years, probably three times from this stage. So you can go back in the old podcast old, on iTunes and listen in detail. This is one of my favorite passages in all the scriptures. But ultimately, it's saying we, that humanity has a tendency to, uh, 
to wear the imprint of how other people respond and however people do other things. And it's not so much that Christians should do it a certain way, but God does it a certain way and he has adopted a people for himself that's a family and, and there's a way that the family responds to things, a generosity, a long-suffering, an adventure, whatever it is, the family can do those things and God's given us his Holy Spirit that leads the adventure, leads the response in and through us. For Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself, him or herself, more highly than you ought to. Now that's hard because you're only thinking about yourself the way you're thinking about yourself. You don't know that you're thinking of yourself highly unless you're thinking, man, I am so much better than everybody around me. You're definitely thinking too highly of yourself. Even if you are that great, you're still thinking too highly of yourself because then you're using your goodness to serve self rather than to give it away to others. So don't think that way, but think with sober judgment. That, means, that doesn't mean to stop drinking alcohol until you're inebriated. That means have a clear mind that is not affected by pride and poor thinking. So to have, uh, don't have your mind, but think with sober judgment and each person according to the measure of faith that has been given to him or her. Then this passage goes on to talk about how we are, we are many members of one body. I mean, genuinely, it would be like all of us trying to get on top of each other's shoulders together and walk and be a functional one being together. Obviously, the human body is shaped and made up a little differently than that, but that, the picture is ultimately that each one of us makes up a portion of the interior and exterior of the human body. That's the language that this author chose to describe us. So therefore, if one of us, as a lung, thinks we're so much better than the kidney and decides I'm going to do some of the I'm going to tell the kidney how to function the kidney wouldn't work anymore if the kidney took the advice and said hey if the lung was like hey kidney this is how to work I do my job I'm the best stinking lung around you need to be more like me the kidney doesn't do the things that the lung does and so sometimes we try to blueprint our own process one of my counselors said I was blueprinting how to do life for my wife about a decade ago and it blew my mind and I apologize, I've been working on it since and I think we have a healthier marriage and she feels more love since then. But I was looking as a toenail and I was telling her as the heart how to hang on to the, the toe. It just didn't work, it was just no good. So we're many members, one body. Though we are many members in verse five, we're one body in Christ and individually we're members of one another. We're members of one another. Later he says we belong to each other. So we all have different gifts that have been given to us by the grace of God. And so he said, if you're gifted, use those gifts. And I'm not going to get into teaching on this passage. This is more of a practical talk this morning. We call it a table talk, not even a sermon. But he goes on to say, if you're, if you're great at serving, then serve. If you're able to really assess the moment and talk about what God believes and thinks and is saying for something like that, we believe that would be biblical prophecy, then prophesy. If you're able to teach, then, then continue to share your perspectives and grow as a teacher. If you have gifts of faith, then, then express those gifts of faith. If you lead well, then lead with zeal. Verse nine, so then let your love, let the way you treat one another, let the way you think about one another be genuine, let it be authentic, let it be real. Hate what's evil because the things that come into our body, like some of you came in today and you told me that you were not feeling well and you're sick, like that is something that has infected your body. It doesn't belong. And so when he says, hey, let's let love be genuine. Let's let the things that are supposed to work a certain way, let them work. And let's despise the things that get in between the liver and the pancreas working well, just to use that illustration. We should despise those things, not make room for those things, but identify those things and remove those things. Love one another with brotherly affection. Look at this. Outdo one another in showing honor. 
Just for a moment, can we put the definition of honor up there for me? Here's a definition of honor. Now, this is, it's rare that I would go to, like, to a biblical, de- um, a biblical dictionary. I usually just use the, scripts, the scriptures. But literally, I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm curious of what Baker's Expositional uh, Dictionary actually says about what honor is as a, an entire biblical assessment of how the word honor has been used throughout all the Bible, what definition they would choose. And I was amazed and so satisfied with how strong this answer was. It's a social term describing how people within a society evaluate one another. Isn't that interesting? So when Darrell messes up, we're like, oh, I'm gonna mess up too. You got it, boy, keep going, man. But when he's doing well, I'm, I'm not saying that you guys weren't stirred. I'm not, I'm not condemning your lack of outward response during that. And some of you are like, well, I was crying before that, Chris. I was totally into it. Why do I have to make noise? I'm not, I'm not asking for that. I just wanna make mention that we tend to be good at meeting people at the low. But when they get off the ground and succeed or do well, Sometimes in Christianity, when, when somebody does well, they think they have to say, oh, it was God, it was God, it was God, it was God, it wasn't me, it was God, it was God, it was God. And I'm just like, whoa, God's not insecure, but you sound insecure. Like, it's okay that you're a partner, a chosen partner by God, that he's partnering with you, and then God's doing something beautiful through you. He chose to do that with you. It's okay to say, thank you. That's a good supplement, by the way. Hey, great sermon. Hey, I really appreciate how you said this or did this. Thank you. That's okay too. I'm not saying that you don't honor God by saying, God be praised. But sometimes in Christianity, we just put these pad things on and our love is not genuine. And I think at times we're uncomfortable with ourselves being a healthy example and and doing well. You don't have to say, oh, you should have seen me yesterday. I was a mess. You don't have to balance it out with all the trash. I hope you're catching what we're reading here. Outdo one another in showing honor. What a, what a sentence. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient when things are difficult. Be constant in prayer. Continue, uh, contribute to the needs of the saints, to the body, the people around you. Contribute to that and show hospitality with your home. So many of you guys do that all the time. I love it. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, uh, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of everybody. And if it's possible, and it depends on you, then do every single thing you can to live at peace with somebody, which is to enjoy harmony together. So when someone's mourning, to live at peace with that person is to enter into mourning with them, regardless of whether you think they should be mourning or not. It's... it's the difference of being self-righteous in that moment or doing the right thing with that person in the moment. Self-righteous says, this is why you're here and this is what you need to do to get better. The reason I can say that so quick is because I've spent a lot of my life doing that and it's disgusting. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it all, but leave it to the wrath of God for its written vengeance is mine. I will pay as the Lord says. If your enemy is hungry, Go give him something to eat. If he or she's thirsty, go give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap coals. I'm not going to teach about that right now, but that sounds like the verse that Izzy pointed out to me. He's like, does this mean we... <laughs> it's just saying, don't worry about how the outcome goes with this person. Just, just love them. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, I, uh, I hope that the whole reading of that passage helps you 
understand the heart of what we're trying to communicate here this morning. Um, the, the rest of that definition, and I, it was on the screen, I just want to read it. Well, honor is an internal attitude of respect towards someone. You know, you, you might not know that I honor you until I verbalize it. Um, it's an internal attitude of, of respect and courtesy and reverence, but it should be accompanied by an appropriate attention or even an, an, an obedience, an outcome, an outwardness. Uh, you know, it's the difference of I feel for you, I have empathy for you. Compassion is passion with action, feeling with an action. And for a church to be passionate is one thing. To become passionate is saying we're doing something about it. So honor without action is incomplete. It's lip service. Woo! When I was at that protest a few weeks ago, those students were screaming our country is about lip service. They say, we feel for you. We have sympathy for you. And they said, we're sick of sympathy. Do something about it. It was, hey, Sebastian. It was awesome. He's getting fired up, see? <laughs> Thanks for the feedback, buddy. No, I'm teasing you guys. <laughs> honor, a culture of honor, a house of honor, where when a need rises, it's an opportunity for us to rise. And when someone falls, it's an opportunity for us to get low with them. That's what was stirring in my heart when we talked and I shared that, a glimpse of this with you guys this morning, and I really felt like it would be so great for the two of you to share your thoughts on this as well as part of the pastoral voices here. Um, this, this one thought and one question from me, and then I wanna, Oliver, I'm going to hand it over to you to, to just nuance it and kind of enter some thought and perspective from this. I know your perspective is so helpful. You and I are, are unique. We're great friends, but we're, we're wired differently, and I so appreciate your perspective that's honor. I didn't do that for example, but I was like, hey, that was kind of nice. <laughs> Thought, illustration, question. And I can do it in three minutes. You can time it, Oliver. Here, time it right there in your heart, in your mind. The church that belongs to one another seeks to understand each other and to feel what they feel and surrounds others with empathetic actions and emotions. As I just read that, I realized that was too early this morning and I get too wordy in the morning. It wasn't slick enough, but not slick as in like popular, but short and simple. Ultimately, the church that belongs to one another, and we do, we empathize. We feel what each other feels, and we do something about it. Uh, I read an article. I think you guys know I, I try to read global news and articles on a weekly basis. I try to do it every day, especially on Sunday mornings, but I do it about every day. And this ad, this uh, article caught my attention, and if we can put that, the, the picture of this woman up. Could we do that first, Kim, the picture of the woman? Um, the real-life woman, not the art. The woman who donated that stuff, if you could, if you have it. If you don't have it, sorry, I can tell a story. Well, this, the, the headline, I saw a picture, and then I saw that a woman donates 40 gallons. I'm like, whoa, what does she donate 40 gallons of, and why is that a headliner? Like, I read only headline news for the most part, and then I get deeper into, you know, local or less, less headline. But I was like, why is this headline news? That seems kind of crazy. And as I read it, it said that this woman donated 40 gallons of breast milk to the NICU in the hospital of her local area. And I was like, can you even do that? Like, what is going on? And so sure enough, I read the whole article and the babies that were sick, that were born, born premature, uh, apparently one of the healthiest things for them is actually mother's milk. And this woman had, she has two freezers full of her breast milk. She produces 72 ounces of breast milk. I tried to drink 100 ounces of water today. I was like, man, that's a lot of milk. And so she's just saved it up and she saw there was a need for breast milk and she could help babies. And so this is a stay-at-home mom raising her children and pumping away on a daily basis and making use of probably the deer hunting freezers has been used now for breast milk. And 
that's been called liquid gold. And so she goes, and it's a, it was a three to four week process, like a month. She had to do all these tests and psychological backgrounds and all these poking and prodding for her. But long story short, she was able to donate 40 gallons of breast milk and she's gonna be able to continue to do it because she has a storehouse full of it. And all I could think of is this conversation. All I could think of is this woman, though she's functional and doing awesome, she heard a story about people who were struggling. It's like, I can do something about that. I don't even have to get out of my rhythm. I just will stay in my rhythm and hand it off. And I'll go through the procedures that have to go through or three to four weeks of psychological evaluation and, and blood tests and all this stuff. And I just thought to myself, man, what would it be like if the church was that eager to meet all kinds of needs of all kinds of people? I wonder if the church would literally run the headlines around the world for meeting needs. And I, I mean, I believe that's why the church has been given to the world for one of those very reasons right there. So my question, Oliver, this is not for you to answer, but this is my conclusion of my portion, then I'll facilitate our time. But what prevents you and me from surrounding others with empathy through our actions and our emotions on a daily? It's not about doing that all week. It's just about doing it today. What would it look like to empathize with somebody? And empathy means you're not just thinking about how they feel. You literally are feeling with them, thinking with them, understanding with them. So Oliver, when I shared some of those things, and you know, you're one of the people in my life that hears most of my thoughts, and somehow you handle that well. Um, what are your thoughts on this conversation that we're having, and, and share your perspective? Yeah, the uh, so the word that that you brought up earlier, Chris, um, that that we that we talked about when it comes to Darrell, or often even like different parts of the service when you talked about Allison Amato, who's here with us, and her fiance is her fiance is here too. Watch this. Hey, congratulations, guys! Yeah, we just sort of started talking about that word honor and celebration and what it is that, that we're celebrating. Um, I, think, I think that we get, um, uh, we get jaded about that word celebrate. I think the word party in America puts us back in college at a, at a frat party somewhere. Um, and and we, we take that word celebrate and oftentimes in our mind, if we're not careful, the dictionary replaces it with hedonism mm-hmm. and replaces it with a sense of extremity. So we... So we in, in the kingdom culture, we go to the other gutter, which is stoicism. And, uh, and that's, that's a silent year. As you've talked about that before Easter and the approaching of Lent, that time before Christ came of silence that brought about intellectualism, hedonism, over-scientific you know, thought, which is essentially, if we boil it down, is our head is getting bigger than our heart. And so I was just convicted because, listen, when you go Old Testament or New Testament, and you read through Leviticus, it's one of the most boring books in the Bible. Leviticus is all about feasts and celebrations. A lot of it, a good portion of what God prescribed to be the fullness of our not only eternal life but abundant life is to know when to celebrate and to know how to celebrate. It's a prescription of life. It's part of the diet, you know, the food chain of, of, of shalom or the kingdom of heaven is to know how and when to celebrate really well. And, um, and so actually instead of thinking of, it, of a great example, the first thing unfortunately that came to mind, and maybe that's just my frame of reference because I, I'm convicted by this topic. I'm of, of, of all of us, I think, like, I think of Matt Cochran as a wonderful celebrator, by the way, like, yeah. this guy is uh, kind of like, will go high with you, or he'll go low with you, yeah. no matter where you are, and I think sure. there's people in our congregation that teach me about this, and right. so I'm, uh, so, you know, this is the passage that speaks to me, but I thought about the Pharisees, when they talked to Jesus, and he was meeting with the sinners and the tax collectors, and they were, they were offended that uh, he had this connection, it says in the scriptures that they were drawing near to him, and they were jealous of that, and he told three stories in Luke chapter 15, which I'll kind of summarize, and Chris mentions it just for the sake of time. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And 
uh, in all three of those, a um, couple of themes there, but one of the themes is, is it talks about when the, when the lost coin is found, it's a woman who loses a coin, she has a hundred, loses one and goes and finds it, she celebrates, that's what the scripture says. Uh, and, and then when there's a sh- you know, the sheep and the shepherd, and there's a powerful image up there if we can get on the screen, the shepherd in that day, like not only wealth, but a kind of um, familial relational connection to some of these sheep. I mean, he named the, the shepherds used to name the sheep, go and s- seeks out the sheep, and like the woman that found the coin, celebrates it, like gets excited about it, like goes high with it, you know, like allows herself to be excited, or himself to be excited. And then it gets into the more like less uh, allegorical and more like uh, more real in terms of like people and what the kingdom of God is like between people. It talks about the prodigal son. And it talks about really the story's less, if you look at it for what it's meant to talk about, because the audience he's speaking to is the Pharisees, it's less about us understanding the, um, the story and the arc for the younger brother who comes home as the prodigal son. And it's more about to understand the loss of the older brother. Because it says in the, in the end of the scripture, unlike the father, unlike the woman, unlike the shepherd, that the, the, the older brother who represents the Pharisee and the pharisaical part of all of us, it says he couldn't and wouldn't go into the party because he was jealous of his brother. So in heaven, what, it's, what, what all the scripture is saying, one of the things, it's like, a, it's like a tangential theme, right? Like the major theme is that, you know, redemption is real and that you know, that, you know, the Father waits for us in extension while we're a long way off. But the, but the side theme that I think we could all recognize in a stoic, thoughtful, you know, I don't want to go too high, I don't want to go too low culture, is that heaven celebrates. Like, that's the thing is, like, this is the coin when it's found, the sheep when it's found. This is what heaven does when, the, when stuff is found. It celebrates. It goes nuts. It makes me think about Jesus' first miracle in John is found at a wedding in Cana, his very first miracle was to make wine, which makes some of us in the South a little nervous about like, what if you take that too far, that hedonistic idea of what if we celebrate too much? And, and, and listen, that's, that's the thing, right? The frat party stuff, the Jim Belushi movies, that's escape. That's not celebration. That's running away from myself. But celebration is about coming back home to true self. So it's a, it's a false understanding and a counterfeit of what true joy is because the enemy can't create joy. He can only counterfeit it. So God's the only real. So there's joy in the room. That's a great question. Maybe even to ask yourself today is, where's your joy at? Do you have any joy left? Because if there's no joy, there can't be Jesus. This, the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And so joy is this human connection that even before the cross, it calls us home because it reminds us that there's, there's not a duty or a discipline or a, a, an end in mind, or a bottom line profit that's gonna draw me into my next step. It's something about being more human, coming more alive, not just experiencing eternal life, experiencing abundant life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so here's the thing, when I think about highs and lows, there's the, the stoic idea is there's, I remember a TED talk, it talks about great athletes. They, they don't get too high or they don't get too low because a mad player is a bad player. That's what they say, coaches will tell you. If, if you get too emotional about the play, the last play, you'll slack off the next place. So don't get too excited about stuff. And so what the TED Talk will tell you is that not going too high, not going too low, being stoic and static is great for performance, but here's the thing, it stinks to live in terms of life. Being a stoic is great for performing, it's horrible for marriage. It's horrible for relationship. It's horrible for connection because it's in the highs and in the lows and even in boredom and everything in between, that's where relationship is formed. I had a friend one time in Indiana. 
his mom was married for like 20 years, uh, came, had uh, breast cancer, got diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, um, had to go through with the surgery. In that moment, I remember him just talking about how powerful it was, not just to create, but to reveal the relationship that was already there. The husband comes in and looks at his wife and says, there's the prettiest girl that I know. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where either it's revealed or it's built, but that's where that human connection happens because it's when I'm down or when I'm up and I realize that you weren't there, but you went the distance to come meet me there that I find out that I have honor in your eyes, that, I, that I'm valuable, that I have gold, that, I, that I'm worth the journey to come near me. Mm-hmm. So here's, here's the good news. This is what I thought about, and then I'll, <clears throat> I wanna pass the ball. <clears throat> we don't have problem <clears throat> connecting with characters on television shows. You ever notice that? Mm-hmm. I love This Is Us. Like, I'm laughing at the jokes of the people that I don't even know. Like, they're actors, they're not even real. I'm like bawling my eyes out about this, like, fake dad, right? And I'm more connected to these characters on this screen than the characters in my life. So is that good news or bad news? Well, I think it's bad news because it seems a little shallow, right? But it's good news because my ticker's still working, and it means I'm still alive, and I still want for there to be celebration in my life, and I want there to be highs. And by the way, that's what the prescription is when the God, when, when the Father invites the older brother to come in, is just allow the highs to be high, and don't be afraid to let yourself get too high, you know, and on, on the pretext that one day I'll fall back down again. It's like, well, that's part of life, you know? Like, that's what he's saying is that sometimes that your armor can become a prison and you build up the walls to protect yourself from getting too high lest you stumble and fall, but that's part of the relationship. And so you'll miss the pain, but you'll miss the love too. Yeah. Performance happens great in stoicism, but life doesn't happen there. Life happens in the highs and the lows. Yeah. So here's what, I, here's, here's what I just think as an exercise. I think what happens to me when I sit down and watch TV is the director has done the job to come to me and explain the story to me so I can see the narrative clearly. The reality is in life, the people that you're gonna see after church, the people that come in before church, you've got no director to tell you what the narrative is. But heaven preaches the real narrative and that's where the celebration happens is that this person was dead and now they're alive. But when we walk to people, we think, we don't see the dead person coming alive or the lost sheep, we just see competition. You just see she's prettier than me or, you know, he's annoying or, or he, you know, he's boring or he's on the other political spectrum. We don't see the story clearly. So I think what happens when we celebrate is we allow the Holy Spirit to be the director of the movie we watch. We've got to allow him and we've got to seek with him. It's a little extra effort to get off the couch because, I mean, the reality is that's a fake intimacy with whatever TV show I'm watching. That's not real connection. It shows me what I want. It shows me my heart's still alive, but it's an invitation in the kingdom's hands to draw and make a movie of the people that I do see, to see the frame of reference that God sees and to celebrate the way that heaven, heaven celebrates. Reality is, is that heaven's about, heaven has highs and lows. He weeps with those who weep. He, he, he's, he's joyous with those that have joy. And God has emotions and David had emotions and, 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 and he made us to have emotions for a reason so that we could, we could experience life together. We could experience joy together and connection together. So I think the invitation is, is to say, yeah, you know, I, I, I see how stoicism keeps me safe, but I've never seen stoicism bring me joy. It's never brought me joy. And so I'll accept the highs and the lows if it draws me close to others and if it allows me to have life eternal and life abundant. Yeah, that's what I saw. Bro, you, you just brought the sauce, man. <laughs> it's the sauce. For those of you who aren't in with the newest lingo, the sauce. Either you have the sauce. Justin Timberlake told me either you have the sauce or you don't. But if you have a good moment, you have the juice. But you've got the sauce. 
the scripture it convicts. But the Bible, about. yeah. <laughs> what I just heard you say though, this is really important. So I'm not a huge TV watcher. I do like movies, and when I'm watching movies, and we watch we're watching movies, we are undivided for that three hours, yeah. giving everything to it. And I, my question, just hearing you, I was like, okay, so what's the? I'm putting your hat on, equipping pastor for a moment. I'm going. I wonder how many of us give somebody three hours of undivided, wow. open heartedness so that we can go higher low with them. To me, that's a community diagnostic, is that when I, I know when I walk in my home and there's a show on, they pause it as soon as I walk in because <laughs> they know I'm going to disrupt it and they want to they focus on what they're doing. And so then I just go to the bedroom and just sit and they watch <laughs> and they enjoy and it's great. So I, I, that totally resonates with me and that would be the practical side of it, Oliver, is just that small piece is just the attentiveness that you give and the people you talk with about This Is Us, because I've been around those conversations, it's a shared culture, and I just don't know that we share, like you're saying. Awesome. The Holy Spirit's the director of our lives. Let's tune in. We've been given everything. So great, bro. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Timothy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just, um, I remember when you brought this up over Vox, I just remember thinking in my head, just like, what is, what is Somebody just cheer for me? I think, she has, I think she has, she has stock. Oh, Voxer. She has stock. Oh, no, she's just celebrating. My bad. Yeah, it's just apps. Woo! Woo. Apps. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Either way, thank you. Well done, Voxer. That's what I'm talking about. Thank um, you, <laughs> uh, So many things went through my mind, and what's really funny about this, too, I'll just share this a little bit. Emily told me one time, my wife, she said, Timothy, you're an Old Testament guy. And what's funny is, like, I never thought I'd be an Old Testament guy, because the Old Testament used to scare the mess out of me. And now I'm obsessed with it. I love it. <laughs> uh, but when we were talking about, you know, honor and celebration, I started thinking of every negative moment that where I didn't see honor. And it all was in the Old Testament. Um, but I want to say, too, Oliver, about what you're saying about this is us. I was sitting there thinking, I was like, I'm that guy that weeps during this. <laughs> Me and my wife, we just sit there and we're just like, oh. it's beautiful. But how often do we do that, you know? And with... The story I'm going to share here, Genesis 4, we all know this story. It's the story of Cain and Abel, and I'm just going to read it because it's short. Um, but just in this story, I hope you guys can pick up very clearly where there's just such a lack of honor and a lack of celebration and full of jealousy and bitterness. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That's even celebration right there. Yeah. <laughs> and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And we don't know why he had no regard. Um, I really, this is one of those moments where I'm like, can you just give me Cain's mental and emotional status right now? I just need to know what is he feeling? What is he thinking? And then it says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, before I keep going, I said this before, but what's interesting is when we take our, a step back from the, from the presence of God, not that he's ever away from us, but when we stop listening to his voice and when we stop listening to what he says about us and leaving that as our foundation, uh, that's the moment where the lies and the, the false ideas, and not just about ourselves, but about other people start to creep in. And to be honest with you guys, this is something that even over the Voxer was convicting me. Mm. Of I'm sitting here thinking, I have a lot of free assumptions about people. Mm. 
I have a lot of ways that I look at somebody walking down the street and think 15 things about them. I mean, come on. Don't we all do that? We just look at people and we say one flippant thing, forgetting this is a human being with struggles, with insecurities, with strengths, both weaknesses. And just by looking at them, we have some idea of what we think of them. So already, just with him talking, and he said, Tiff, they want to bring you up there. I was like, I just, my mind need to listen <laughs> for a little bit. And so already, that I feel like I'm not convicting anyone. I'm not going to push this on us. But I would like to say, at the root of it, are we listening to his voice or are we listening to the enemy's voice? We've already talked about there's black and there's white. There is no gray between us and there's light and there's darkness. There's only one voice to listen. Or there's two voices. It's the Lord's and there's the enemy's. And if there's bitterness, if there's selfishness, if there's disregard, if there's marginalization, which is very current in our country today, I don't think that's coming from the Lord. Because what it looks like here is a God who meets us where we are, like he just did with Cain after the fall, by the way, where God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He's still making himself known to Cain, being generous, being kind. Even Cain's mother, right now, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Cain's the only one who gets celebrated at the beginning of this passage doesn't say that she was thankful for Abel. I know she was thankful, but we only hear that she was thankful for Cain's birth. It's very interesting that his name is the one that came up. I'll keep reading. So verse 8. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And here we have a little bit of hope. Communication is a beautiful thing. It's a scary thing, but it's a beautiful thing. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Whoa, what? <laughs> I thought they were just talking. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And this is Cain's angsty answer. He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Come on, man. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. And then further on, the Lord in his kindness and his mercy actually protects Cain's life. He says, it's not going to happen. I'm going to put a marker on your head. It's going to protect you all the days of your life. Anyone that comes against you, I'm going to strike them down and kill them. But Cain says, Cain's punishment is isolation. And so as you're talking about dishonoring people, we really do start to separate ourselves is what I've seen. And especially when I do that, I separate myself from someone else. And it might seem like a, at times, maybe I think I'm better. Maybe I think I'm better off. Maybe I think I'm smarter. I'm wiser. I'm stronger, whatever. But after time, I'm pretty stinking lonely because no one else wants to be around that guy, right? So all this to say, I, I think one of the things I've said when people have asked me about relationships, um, strangely, if they ask me about marriage, because, you know, I've been married for so long, um, they ask me, you know, what, whenever you and your wife are fighting, whenever you and your wife have a dispute, what, what's the cause? What's the root? And every single time, at this point in my life, I say, it's selfishness. I'm just thinking about myself. So really, when I think about honoring one another, I think about, am I thinking about me or am I thinking about someone else? Again, the derail was a win. Poor guy was in the dumps, and we just said, keep going. You're killing it, man, because he was. He's doing a great job. But what about the highs? Are we doing the same thing, or are, are we being too concerned with, not am I better, but 
insecurity, which insecurity is real. I deal with insecurity. You can ask these two guys. I probably hear about every day how insecure I am at times. Insecurity is real, but can we take time to take our eyes off of ourselves and look at somebody else and say, but you're, you're awesome because that person's probably insecure too. And you know what cheering somebody else on does? Makes you less insecure because then you're reminding yourself of truth. And when we remind ourselves of truth, we have a heart of thanksgiving. I could sit here and go all through the Old Testament. I thought about another one um, a second ago. It was uh, Joseph and his brothers. Yeah. You know, Joseph comes in, he's, he's having visions from God. He's having these dreams, which not a very good motive on his part, but then his brothers get jealous and they get angry and they plot to kill him and they throw him in a pit to die. But then later on, we see that actually he celebrates his brother by letting him live and actually causing his brothers and his father to actually flourish in the land of, flourish in the land of Egypt. Mm. So, um, that's what I was hearing, man. It's just really hit me hard with just that word honor. I mean, you were saying celebration at first. When you said honor, hit me hard. Mm-hmm. I said, man, am I, am I working? Because I think it's an attitude adjustment, but it's also a mindset to think, a discipline, I think, to honor one another. I think we fight hard to honor one another, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. It is hard. It's not going to sit here and say it's just easy all the time to honor each other. Yeah. You're right. I do think I agree and I think history and academia would show you, or studies would show you that it is, these are choices that we need to make. And ultimately, bringing this conversation together into a close, um, just to pick up on some of y'all's words, how do we outdo one another in honor? We depend on the Holy Spirit as the primary director of our lives. And when we do this, we will see fruits like thinking of others above ourselves and thinking of others constantly instead of ourselves. These are not, these are not switches to make, I just got to do this, I got to do this. If there is a, I got to do this, it's I got to continue to have a conversation with Holy Spirit where I'm listening and responding. That would be the commissioning. And I believe we're a church who's doing that. So if I could say it this plainly, at times it can feel as though we are potentially a little bit deficient in the area of others. And, And potentially not just others in this room, but others as in all people. Because the scriptures record that the story ends where all people of all tribes and all tongues and all kinds of people that you didn't think would be there and they didn't think you'd be there, we're all going to be there and we're going to see him in his glory and profess, wow, he's more beautiful than, than we ever could have imagined. John, when he sees that moment, he's, the first thing he says is, oh, there's the one who loves us. Somehow, he looks at Jesus and all the glory unfold and he goes that person loves me (laughs) it's crazy it's crazy like what emanates off the glory of God is you are so loved that's amazing and so I'm confident that you have the Holy Spirit in you and I'm confident that he's the director of your life and I don't think the onus is on you a whole lot to do much frankly but to be in this moment as Jesus taught and Jesus half-brother James taught life's short it's a vapor here today gone tomorrow What would it look for us to be present with present company? And when I try to train counselors and people who are helping others, I try to say, what does it look like to match the other person's emotion that you're with? So come in even at first, see where their emotions are at, and go to that place with them. Be there with them no matter what. So I know this is a very practical message, very practical messages hopefully all intertwined together, that we're to outdo one another in love. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and me today. Outdo one another in honor and love. Holy Spirit directs that, and it's going to look like constant mindfulness 
of others. Would you guys all stand as we close? Timothy, this was the verse that you were mindful of from Philippians, so I'm going to ask you to benedict it. So Timothy's going to read from Philippians 4, verse 8, four, chapter 4, verse 8, and uh, this is Paul, and he is summating, he's concluding all the thoughts he said before this and after, and he's just, he's just putting our, just setting our minds to, to the fruitfulness that comes from listening to the director. These are the fruits, these are the thoughts of one who's listening and responding to the director whose name is Holy Spirit. And so for those of you who have a relationship with the living God, just receive this as your commissioning as we send you this morning. I'd actually love if you guys could just hold your hands out like this. We just call this a posture of reception. And we're just doing this to even mentally, emotionally, to, to be present with this moment. We hold our hands out, and we're receiving these words, these words of truth. And I'm speaking this over myself and all of us in this room. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Just bless you guys in the name of Jesus, that we have been equipped with a spirit of celebration. Isaiah calls this the year of the Lord's favor, that we have actually been commissioned to bring the good news to the poor. We've actually been commissioned to mourn with those who mourn. To turn a, someone who's, who's covered in ashes to bring them a beautiful headdress. So Lord, we're praying for a, the spirit within us that's already there. All of us have the spirit within us to launch us into this world, into our communities, and just let's just start with our relationships, with our families and our marriages, our friendships, our parenting relationships, a spirit of honor. That we might clothe our children in honor. How badly our children need that. We thank you for forgiving us where we've fallen short where we've judged. Thank you for forgiving me of that, God. Or I've passed judgment on someone else. And we thank you, God, that through us, you're gonna bless others. So church, you are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We are one body together. We are one royal priesthood. And this isn't just this non-denominational church. It is the church that is one body And so even to those who are of other beliefs, whether they be the labels that we put on them, I could go down the list, but whether it be someone's views on the Holy Spirit, someone's views on the cross, atonement, whatever, these are people. And I send you in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to go and to love those around you, whoever they may be. Christian, not Christian, whatever. They are all people who are loved by God, and therefore they should be loved by us. Bless you, and we send you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are set. Have a great week. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.